Hello and welcome back to Jake's World, episode 62 of Jake's World, presented by the Nuance Magazine. I'm your host, Jake Sawinski, and today is Wednesday, March 31st. Where the fuck did March go? Like, it seemed... Like, March is one of the longest months of the year, right? And it seemed like it vanished, to be quite honest. Which is really surprising because I like never did spring break um I'm using a vacation day on Friday help a buddy move and I think I work minus the weekends I worked like every fucking day of March and it's gone already um I don't know why that's how I introduce the show but whatever um before we get into today's show I want to start with um little strange story so um as you all know I do work in my hometown during the week and right now I am still commuting back and forth the weekend till lease is up and then we'll see what happens next but whatever whatever another story for another day but um my parents live in the country right I grew up when I, I grew up here like pretty much my whole life and live off of like a county highway right um pretty desolate i mean your neighbor is i think our nearest neighbor is like a quarter mile down the street one way and then like half a mile down the street on the other way but um we live like half mile three quarters of a mile from an intersection between the next county highway and two of us go one way one of us go the other way, but we all have to go the same way to work down that way, right? And it comes to a T, right? It's like a three-way intersection. You make a right turn, go to Marinette. You make a left turn, you go to Crivets. Pretty self-explanatory. Now, this is where it gets a little weird because I get a text from my mom at like 6.40 in the morning. And she's like, did you see that guy's house? And I'm, well, yeah, how could you not? So what happened was at the end of the, like, you know how a normal four-way intersection would be set up, right? You know, they intersect, like, at a plus, like your conventional four-way intersection. There's only three here, but the thing is there's a driveway exactly, like, it runs with the ending street. So it's almost like a four-way intersection, except it's this guy's driveway. That If you were to go straight, instead of making a right or left turn, you'd be in this guy's driveway. His garage fell, like, apart. It was gone. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder what the fuck happened there. Then I'm, like, thinking about it on my way to work because, you know, I'm, like, half asleep. And um, if you drive any time at all it seems like half the time you just have like the dust like the stare right you're just in the void like you could pound on your head or something and you nothing would register so like you're just deep in thought right I'm thinking like how what could have possibly happened to this garage to make it fall over well you know what happened somebody was drunk and 
rolled right through this fucker's garage. Like, and when I say it, I rolled it rolled through it. I don't mean like if you've ever seen Pulp Fiction and uh, Mia overdoses on spoiler um, on Vince, played by John Travolta and Uma Thurman. Um, he runs right into Lance's like into the side of his house, right? And then that's it. No, this guy must have been driving so fast because he went like through this guy's garage door and out the other side. No car was there. Like, what is a logical explanation that this fucker's garage just fell right over? I don't know. That was just kind of weird. I wanted to share that. And there was really no purpose to that. But, uh, yeah, that's all I got for the start of the show. But, um... Sports stuff, per usual. I mean, it's kind of hard not to talk about sports in March, you know, with the tournament going on. And Sweet 16 Elite 8 action. I'll get to that at uh, the end of the show. But, um, I mean, this week's been pretty quiet for the most part. Uh, today was pretty uh, significant news, I'd say, because uh, Wisconsin has lifted its mask mandate, which is... I do want to talk about it for a little bit because it's not so much the verdict that gets me. It's the way they do it in this state anyways. Like, um, I talked about how Texas was one of the first states to, you know, fully reopen and remove the mask mandate or whatnot and, you know, kind of take a different direction into getting back to normal. I'm okay with that. I said that and I will continue to say that. I mean, if you're worried about it, do what you got to do. That's fine. I mean, I think we should be in a position where we're not judging each other for what we want to do and how we feel about it anyway. It's like you shouldn't be offended or give somebody a funny look if, you know, they're not wearing a mask or vice versa. Like up by me during the week, it's the opposite opposite sentiment, right? Most people aren't into the mask thing. They view it as a violation of their personal freedoms no i don't agree with that but it's just the reverse role right but um they decide to go into a different direction in wisconsin it's different right because the state um legislator you know it's a republican state legislator and legislature in wisconsin and You know, I think there was pressure for the state Supreme Court to overrule this mask mandate. It's just really strange because this happened when it first started, too. Governor Evers had a mandate that was, um, or was it the lockdown or the first mask mandate that was uh, repealed? I don't remember which one it was, but either way, it was one of those two. They, like, overturned it with two or three days left of the law like it would have just timed out and they overturned it it was the same thing here they were anticipating on keeping the mandate like in law until uh, Monday which would be April 5th and then it would have lapsed and I'm not sure if it would have been extended or not or if it would have they would have just ended it I'm not really sure what the way what the course of action would be um, it's just weird because they overturned it today, 
five days left it's like is it really what's five more days gonna do like is it really a big deal i guess it is i just find that a little strange it's like is that really what you're like of all the things that you could you know prioritize it's that 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 just doesn't make much sense to me like just wait it out it's not a big deal now if they were if it was known that they were anticipating on extending it and they didn't want it there okay i guess but like to me it just doesn't make much sense like i don't see the big deal in wearing it frankly and businesses can still overturn it anyways and local ordinances still supersede the state rule right like if your county says you have to wear it in public or in a certain place i guess you have to do it same goes for the business that you work at if your employer requires it you still gotta wear it i don't know it's just not really complaining about it like to me either way i don't care like if you want to wear it that's fine if i want to wear it that's fine i don't expect you to judge me for that i don't judge you if you do or you don't i don't fucking care it doesn't matter to me but i don't know it's just kind of a weird scenario and it seems like wisconsin is always <laughs> like trying to be a little progressive but then it's like one step forward one step back one step back one step forward i don't know it just seems a little strange but um um what else is going on oh i was on twitter yesterday and i guess um michael rapaport rapaport not sure if you say it like a french name or not um he's an actor comedian kind of guy he's kind of a clown but that's kind of what he was um talking this is why he it was in the news again he um took barstool sports to court over a defamation suit lawsuit because um i guess i don't really know it's kind of a weird scenario like i remember michael rapaport worked for barstool sports for a little, like a short stint of time right and um afterwards dave fired him and made these clown shirts like you know the classic roger goodell's a clown shirt but put rapaport's face on it and like depicted him as a clown he had herpes so he had like cold swords on his face it was kind of funny and this was from two years ago i think i think this was in 20 late 2018 early 2019 and i remember this happening but like i didn't really look into the details all that much at the time like i kind of just learned the actual um why he was fired how whatever everything that happened with it but I just find it like, really funny because, I mean, lo love him or hate him or somewhere in between, Dave Portnoy, like, is one of the best content guys out there. Like, he makes everything content. He's I think he's funny. He's an asshole, which I also think is funny. But um, what happened was, I guess he said something about the fans of Barcelona Sports. Like, you were employed by them and you're going to trash the people who you know read the blogs listen to the podcast buy the merch you know consume that stuff of course you're gonna get fired what did you expect and then it, it was like a timing thing he brought suit of it because it's like oh he fired me just to make these shirts and profit off of it which i don't think was the case maybe it was i don't really care either way but um i don't know it was just really funny because like he's such a jackass too right like 
Rappaport's got this big mouth and he's always, you know, he's always talking, talking, talking. And then Kevin Durant got involved too. Like uh, someone, I don't know if it was Durant leaked it or if Rappaport, I know, I think Rappaport leaked it. Um, he took a screenshot of his DMs from Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant was going after him for being like a pussy ass bitch and all that stuff. And calling him names and calling him soft. It's like, okay, Kevin Durant, you're one to talk. Seeing as you're the burner king and you've been like, had a, you've had a burner for years and, you know, been trolling fans who criticize you, but when, another story for another day. But, um, it was just really funny because and it kind of, it was a little bittersweet for me too. I mean, Rappaport's a jackass, but I always liked him. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, he did that viral video with uh, that ugly fucking cat in his mom's yard. Like, he took a video of this cat, and this thing's enormous, right? It's just this big old hairy, ratty-looking cat. And he's like, Ma, there's a cat in the yard. And he had this, like, stupid New York accent. And his laugh always got to me. It was all, he's just, he'd say something dumb. He'd be like, ha, 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 I just got a kick out of it. I don't know why. He's a big jerk off, but it's really funny. But, um, yeah, Jake doesn't have much to talk about. Clearly, he's telling dumb stories on the podcast, and he should probably just stick to sports. But, I mean, hey, it's my world. I talk about what I want, right? But, um, oh, yeah, just a wonderful world. Um, something else that was pretty notable was, um, um, don't know much about it. Um, some of this stuff is a little over my head, but, um, what company? Oh, Viacom. Uh, some hedge fund, like, went tits up because he had, like, huge amounts of, uh, swaps on... Viacom, CBS, and Discovery shares, and um, I'm parlaying this into something, I promise. Uh, this guy had like billions of dollars in this hedge fund that he manages, right, in these stock swaps for Viacom, CBS, right? Essentially, what he's doing is he's trading this derivative against the S&P return, right, and say this company Viacom CBS was um say they made 10% on in a given amount of time in the SP in the S&P 500 index returned 5% he would pocket the 5% difference right he's swapping the S&P return versus this company's return well Viacom was trading at about $100 a share and then i think it started last friday but at one point on Monday, it was down like 60%. So this guy lost a fuck ton of money. And it was all on margins to borrowed money. So, yeah, he's got a lot of unhappy clients in that uh, hedge fund. It was just crazy, too, because, like, um, you know, everyone's on Twitter anyways, loves to give out financial advice, right? Or make suggestions, right? Oh, don't buy that cup of coffee. Don't eat out. Do all this stuff, right? And, like, that's why you're poor, because you don't control your spending, and, uh, you know, you're irresponsible with your money, and you make bad investing choices and all this, right? But then, you know, the guys on Wall Street are supposed to be, you know, they're glorified traders. They, they're smart with their money. They know what they do. And then every once in a while, you hear these, like, catastrophic 
bad trades that happen, you know, every few years where somebody is just not practicing the, you know, the smart advice, and then they fuck up even worse than somebody who spends $5 a day on their chai latte at Starbucks has to, you know. I just find that really funny. Financial literacy or financial um, no, education in this country is so backwards. Like nobody teaches you anything about how to invest. And then the people who are supposed to be teaching you how to do this stuff responsibly are like even bigger jackasses than everyone who does it, you know, retail wise. It's really funny to me. I don't know. It's not funny, but it's just ironic to me. I guess I should say it that way instead. But, um, and, uh, oh, one more <laughs> finance related thing this if you lived under a rock you did not see this but i got an absolute kick out of the suez canal memes like the picture of the gigantic evergreen freighter who had like 200,000 tons of cargo got lodged into the side of the suez canal and then there's a picture of this like big industrial crane trying to dig this enormous freighter out of the banks of the suez and (laughs) That was about a week's worth of fantastic content. I was... Seeing that get unstuck was extremely bittersweet because, like, it was hilarious. Like, the memes and all the content that came out of that, super funny, right? But um, there were some serious ramifications. I th- saw somewhere, like, it was costing the world economy, like, $10 million a minute. And this fucking boat was stuck for, like, what? five days a week something like that it's fucking crazy because all these ships i mean a little history lesson here the suez was constructed in i think the 50s and the 60s or or the 60s and i mean that was the gateway from the middle east to the mediterranean into the americas right because traditionally what you would have to do is sail all the way around the cape of good hope all the way around the bottom of africa from the persian gulf this is mostly affecting oil, I'd imagine. But but any other traded goods would have to go all the way around Africa. And then back up through South Atlantic and arrive at its destination in the Americas. The Suez Canal cut the travel time by like three days or f- thousands of miles, whatever, however, whatever metric you want to use for it. So this was like a really big deal and it's companies had to make a decision like hey are we going to wait for the egyptians to get this boat out of the canal so trade can resume as normal or are we just gonna sail around africa and say we're not gonna count on them to get this out of here so like i said it's good that it's free of course but i was sad to see it go because it was pretty funny a lot of funny stuff came out of that. But um, I think that would pretty much wrap it up for those miscellaneous headlines because anything else that's really coming up isn't really that entertaining. That wasn't that entertaining, so that was definitely a bit of a stretch. But, um, I mean, President Biden un- unveiled his infrastructure plan, which, I mean, it's a good thing, but I, we got to stop printing money eventually. That's not good. And... uh you know, raising taxes, which is inevitable with a plan like that, is like the worst thing you can do after a recession. 
aka COVID, because stagflation happens. And that is another story for another day, once again. Okay, let's get to the good stuff. The basketball. Another good sort of weekend of college basketball. And the final four is set. I was going to do the show yesterday, but I wanted to get sure, maybe be sure that I could get complete the Elite Eight games. Like, why do half the bracket, you know, those uh, two games and then, you know, wait a whole week for the next two games when the Final Four is going to be played this weekend. So I figured just wait another day and get it all done at once. So let's pull up the handy ESPN app. This is actually the worst app in all of human history. ESPN, I've tweeted at you about it. I've complained about it verbally. I've probably even complained about it on this show. Please fix your stupid score center app because it is terrible it is absolutely terrible and i don't know why you're a billion dollar conglomerate you're owned by disney one of the best companies out there why don't you just fix your stupid app so people can actually use it efficiently okay I didn't watch a ton of hoops this weekend just because I think I was on basketball overload. But I did pay attention to the Elite Eight games. The Sweet 16 games did not get as much of the love from me as it should have. But Oregon State, Loyola Chicago, Oregon State won. I couldn't imagine watching that game because I watched Oregon State play Houston last night. Houston's super athletic, right? Are they all that talented? Some would say so. I mean, they're definitely not a bad basketball team, and Calvin Sampson's a damn good coach. But I couldn't imagine watching Oregon State. Based on what I saw Monday night, they were bad. I don't know how they got to the Elite Eight. I don't know how they beat Oklahoma State. I don't know how they got out of the round of 64 yeah they won the Pac-12 tournament but Oregon State's bad they had no business being there if you ask me if it was hard to watch Houston Oregon State I couldn't imagine watching the brutal slow pace of Loyola Chicago in Oregon State but Oregon State did end up winning Um, Villanova Baylor I did watch some of that I mean, I wrote off Villanova early. I had him going to the I had him losing to Winthrop in the round of 64. I mean, Connor Gillespie, their best player, he was out, and I mean, Villanova had been playing pretty well up to that point. But I mean, I think the real question was how much is Baylor going to win by? Not is does Villanova have a chance? I mean, Villanova did keep it to within. Six, eight, most of the game from what I saw. I mean, they ended up losing by 11, but I mean, the final score is not always reflective of how the game's played. Um, Oral Roberts in Arkansas. I'm glad Oral Roberts is done. I was sick of the sex jokes. Um, I was sick of, you know, all the shit that goes on with the 15 seed, but they were pretty damn good. Arkansas. Kind of got, I mean, you could say they got lucky. Oral Roberts missed a three at the end of the game that almost, I mean, could have gone in. 
didn't though. They ended up losing. That seemed to be the best game of the weekend for the most part. Um, Syracuse fell apart against the zone, or their zone fell apart against Houston. And I, from what I saw, they had like an abysmal, absolutely abysmal shooting performance. Sixty-two points is enough to still win a game if you play any kind of offense, right? I mean, let's just look at the numbers here. As soon as it loads, um, full box score from this game. I mean, Buddy Beheim was had twelve points on three of thirteen shooting. That's your best player. That's definitely not a good sign. But um, they shot 14 of 50 from the field. That's 28%. 5 of 23 from 3. Um, 13, they were good from the line. 13 of 17. And then here's Houston. 23 60. 38%. 7 of 26 from 3. That's alright for college, I guess. And then 9 of 14 from the line. I see 8 turnovers, 11 turnovers. So, I mean, if you can't score, you're not going to win in basketball. I mean, 62 points. That's enough to win. I mean, Rutgers put up 60 in the game before against Houston. So, I mean, Syracuse is another team that just kind of started to play well right at the end there. I mean, did you really expect them to get that far? No, of course not. I mean, I think I had them going to the round of 32. But, I mean, it's hard to expect the playmaking out of a coach's kid who I mean really didn't have all that much attention until the tournament started but um I mean he's a good player he's definitely a good player but he didn't show up and to be fair to him neither did the rest of the team so I mean that pretty much sums it up there Creighton Gonzaga this game was never close did pay attention to that Gonzaga won by 18 um Florida State Michigan that was a good game we're talking about Michigan and how polar opposites the performances were from the elite or from the Sweet 16 game to the Elite Eight game. They beat Florida State. UCLA beat Alabama. That's another instance of you know an absolute abysmal shooting percentage from free throw line, from three point line. I'd love to shit on UCLA, but I can't. They're gonna lose to Baylor on Saturday or Sunday. Then Oregon, USC, um, 68-82. I mean, the Pac-12 games, or the late games are hard because it's like, I have a job. I got to be in the office at 7. It's hard to stay up and watch all of these games, especially, you know, it's 9 o'clock, or sorry, 8.57 Central Time. They're playing at 7 o'clock over there. That's a primetime game for them. And then people on the East Coast, it's like a 10 o'clock game. That's brutal. You're up until 1 o'clock in the morning trying to watch everything. That's no fun. But, I mean, Oregon balled out against Iowa. USC is a much better defensive team. And, I mean, you let your team, you let the other team score 80 in college hoops, you're, you're not going to win. Unless you're UCLA, I guess. Okay. Now, the good stuff. Monday, Elite Eight, Oregon State, Houston. Like I said, this game was back and forth, kind of, for the first half. It was back and forth between Houston winning by 15 or Houston winning by 5. And when I say back and forth, it was mostly, you know, Oregon State being down 10 to 15. It was in that range. 
I think they were down 18 or 17 and a half. It was 17 to 34. And I was watching this whole game. I had a little parlay going with Oregon State plus eight and a half and the under in the Baylor game, which that one missed. But I usually, I typically don't like when defenses play zone defense. I mean, Syracuse seems to be the exception because they exclusively play a 2-3 zone, and Bayheim's been doing it since he's been coaching at Syracuse. So I feel like that's an exception. Zones aren't hard to break, and I watch these games, and, like, I don't even – I stopped playing basketball in high school, and if you knew me, I was terrible at basketball. I'm better at basketball now than I was in high school, and I'm out of shape. It's not hard to beat any zone you play. It's not hard. You need to do skip passes consecutively. You need to get the defense moving. And you can't just sit on the outside of the zone because that's what they want you to do. That's the whole purpose of the zone. Houston's an athletic team. They get to the rim really well. Typically, they can shoot if they're open, but they weren't shooting as well that night. They didn't shoot as well the night before, and they certainly didn't shoot well against Rutgers. So let them shoot. That is what they want you to do. And then you bring the ball up the court, and you do these stupid, um, like in a two-guard set, you pass it back and forth between the guards. That's typically your first movement once you get over half court. They, you know, instead of driving, making the top of the 2-3 zone respect you and guard you, they didn't do that. They would stand 5-10 feet behind the three-point line and throw these skip passes to the other guard that were like moon balls. If you make bad passes, the zone has plenty of time to shift. Everyone can make a rotation on defense. You need consecutive skip passes. You need ball movement. And a 2-3... You need guys to do things off the ball. It's super heavy on back screens and pins and things like that. You screen the bottom of the zone. You can kick a, you know, you have your interior guy screen the bottom of the zone. You can pass it to the corner for a three. Then you can have that guy who screened seal after the screen, open up to the ball, and then once you're inside, it's broken help side has to come help then you have a shot you can kick it back out you can pass it around there's so many things open up when you move the ball and it's so frustrating to watch even as a better on the team that's playing the zone well it's just frustrating because it's like I don't know how this is working because it's so easy to break and honestly that's not on the kids <laughs> it's on the coach you got to tell them what they need to do. I talked about this on last week's show. It's very rare that you have a guy that can take over a game mentally and physically, right? The guys who can take over the game physically, like the best example this year is Cade Cunningham. It's very rare that they have the basketball IQ to know when, okay, I need to pull up. I need to direct the offense this way. We got The coach needs to do that at the college level because the gap between the pros in Division I basketball is, I think, the greatest in any sport. I said that. 
the coach needs to rein them in and be like, hey, we need to do this, this, and this. Otherwise, this game is going to get close, and that's exactly what it did. In the second half, I think they got it to within five. They kind of fizzled out. They were down ten, or they were down nine. I was out of the money. They dribbled the ball at the court, throw up a prayer three, backdoor cover. Oregon State was not a good team, but if you will give them any credit, they won. You know, up to their last game, they won like seven in a row. I think they were fourteen and twelve going into the tournament. Somehow they won the SEC championship game, and. I mean, they were written off in every game, and they played well in every game. How? I don't know. They're not very good. I'll, you know, I'll take that to the grave. They weren't a very good team. They had no business being there, but they were there, and that's what counts. It's the same thing with UCLA too. But um, next game was Gonzaga, or I'm sorry, Arkansas Baylor. That game was sloppy. Holy shit! A lot of turnovers. I think there were 16 turnovers in the first half. Um, and the unconscious shooting with the lack of defense was appalling to me. Like that was frustrating as someone who took an under in that game because you figured, oh, there would be some defense. They were both like Arkansas was down like 15. No, no, they got it to close. They got it closer. I think it was like eight or nine at halftime or maybe even seven. They got it to within single digits for sure. Um, they were down at like, they were down like almost 20 at one point in the first half. They were still shooting 58%. That was absurd to me how well they were actually shooting despite being down by so much. They had so many turnovers. And then Baylor was shooting like 65%, which was unconscious. And that wasn't going to be sustainable, of course. It wasn't. Um, it got closer at the end again. I mean, there was a, there were a couple of points in the game where it looked like Arkansas was going to make it close, and then all of a sudden Baylor went to his zone for a couple of possessions, threw everybody off, and then they kind of pulled away again. But um, Baylor's really good. The only thing they don't do well is rebound. And I honestly, that's probably, I mean, we can look at the statistics again. That's what kept Arkansas remotely close in this game because they didn't shoot well down the stretch. The second half, they cooled off big time. But, um, shit, fucking lost it. Um, they didn't shoot well down the stretch, but they had a ton of second chances. And they, you know, you give up second chance points, typically you're going to lose a game, but they're so good on offense. They shoot well. They get to the hole. They don't even shoot free throws all that well. And here's another thing, too. Like, Musselman is their coach. He might be, you know, he's a coach of the year candidate. What he's done with that program is very, very impressive. But here's another thing. Um, what's his name? Davion Mitchell? Yeah, Davion Mitchell? Not really quite sure how you say it but he had oh fuck I gotta look up the box score he had what how many points did that guy had he had 12 only 12 points it might have been this uh, this Teague guy too Arkansas was getting beat so bad to the rim it wasn't even funny and that Mitchell guy didn't attempt a three he missed several free I think he missed how many free throws? He missed four. 
He missed all three of his free throws. That guy can't shoot. Why are you pressuring him above the free three-point line? He gets the ball in the perimeter two steps off. You got to know. He got every one of his baskets was a layup. He made no jump shots. The same wasn't true for everyone else on that team. But if they're not shooting all that well from the perimeter, one guy, that is, let him shoot. That's common sense. But like I said, sometimes the college guys don't have that yet. They just don't. The coach has to say, hey, back off of him. Pressure him, but back off of the him. Like, you got to do that, and they don't. And then, like I said, down the stretch, Arkansas didn't shoot all that well. I mean, they finished the game 3 of 11 from 3, 17 to 23 from the line, and 26 from 54 from the floor. And Baylor did the same thing. They cooled off. It. They made four more shots on eight more attempts than Baylor. But when you have... 15 turnovers that's kind of expected but uh I mean that game could have been really ugly I mean it could have been you know a turnover fight at the end there and it didn't turn out to, it didn't end up being all that bad I mean that was a pretty entertaining game all in all but um next game uh, what am I looking at Tuesday Gonzaga USC this game was never close <laughs> not once not game. Not once was this game close. I took the over in this game. I got it at 151.5. They scored 151, so I was really sad when that happened. But um, Gonzaga's undefeated still, 30 wins. Um, they're getting to, I think they're like in uncharted water, like uncharted territory. I don't know if anyone's ever finished a perfect season in college basketball. Kentucky was really close. Wisconsin beat them in the Final Four game. I was so scared when, uh, uh, fuck was his name? Willie Cauley-Stein won the tip. One of the Harrison twins gave him an alley-oop, and Wisconsin was down like 2-0 with 1957 left on the clock. I was really scared, and they ended up winning, which was pretty cool. But, um, yeah, USC looked rough, rough on defense. Drew Timmy, Drew Tim, I call him Timmy. He had 23. He's the guy with the Fu Manchu mustache. And, like, this guy is such a douche, too. Like, every time he'd do something cool, he'd, like, rub his mustache and it point. What a fucking asshole. If some guy did that to me, I'd fucking hip check him and take a quick flagrant one for the team, get him fired up. That's why I like hockey, because at hockey, you would just drop the gloves and you'd knock his Fu Manchu right off, and then that would be the end of it. But, um, yeah, this game was never close. And it was really weird because, I mean, despite USC only scoring 66 points, I didn't think they looked all that bad offensively. Um, They rebounded really well, I thought, for the most part. Um, Like, they got a ton of offensive rebounds. Let me look at the box score. Um, I mean, when you miss a lot of shots, you'll give up defensive rebounds. I'm trying to see offensive rebounds. Oh, maybe I'm misremembering that because they got out-rebounded in both categories. But USC missed a lot of good shots. Like, the rim, like, you know, bad rolls. In the first half, anyways. 
Like, they got some good looks. I thought they didn't fall. And then you're down 20 because Gonzaga doesn't miss those. And, um, I mean, those the Mobley twins, they didn't really play well. Um, they ended up, they played much better in the second half. But, I mean, they were absent in the first half. I think one of the twins had, I, brothers or twins, I'm not sure. I, one of them had, like, one shot attempt, and those are two NBA prospects. Like, that's not going to happen. Um, the point guard, Peterson, he played, or, and Edie, they, they were terrible. I mean, 5 of 13 and 4 of 13. Gonzaga's really fucking good. Like, they're the real deal. They're hands down the best college basketball team. I was talking about it with my buddies, too. They remind me of, like, how Wisconsin plays without all the bad talent Wisconsin has. Right? Wisconsin's always this team-oriented, efficient basketball, play good defense. Gonzaga doesn't do the slow tempo and necessarily great defense. They can play defense, but they usually don't have to. But, like, the philosophy to me is very similar to, like, a team I follow. They're very – they all play well together, except they're just better, right? And Mark Few's a fantastic coach. I mean, the way he's turned around that program over the last 30 years he's been there, 20 years he's been there is incredible. I mean, name a sport in college where you have a mid-major, I mean, I'm not talking like hockey or lacrosse or even baseball because baseball's a different animal. It's all teams from the south, but, uh, College and football. Name a mid-major school who is more competitive than Gonzaga in basketball. You can't. I mean, what are you going to tell me? Like, UConn? Villanova? I mean, the Big East is a, technically, it's it's not a power five, but I wouldn't say they're even mid-major I think they're just not power five. I mean, Gonzaga plays in the West Coast Conference. They're a mid-major school. I don't know. Then, I mean, USC just, I mean, they're just porous on defense. And they didn't make shots in the first half. That one just, they play right with Gonzaga in the second half. I mean, you have three or four buckets go your way. It could have been a different game. I didn't watch UCLA-Michigan. I couldn't tell you what happened except it appeared to be a rock fight. And uh, the guy in Michigan took pro- what was probably the worst uh, game-winning shot I've ever seen. Um, except the guy from uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I think that was the show. But, uh, yeah, that was ugly. 20-51, 21-54. Yeah, that looked like a rock fight. And I'm glad I went to bed. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, what we got Saturday. Saturday we have Houston and Baylor. And UCLA and Gonzaga. Um, the question is, will Gonzaga win by 13 or will they win by 30? I think UCLA's cooked. They have no business being there either, if you ask me. I mean, they're an 11 seed. The right team getting hot at the right time. And that's the thing with the Pac-12 too, right? They were so hard to gauge. Because they had, what, 
six teams make it from the Pac-12. Colorado was a five. Oregon was a seven. USC was a six. Oregon State was a 12. That was it from out there, I think. Unless I'm missing... Unless I'm missing one. I don't think so. I mean, Oregon State, Oregon, Colorado, USC. Stanford didn't make it. Arizona and Arizona State didn't make it. Cal didn't make it. Colorado is the only... Yeah, that's it. No Washington or Washington State. Yeah. I mean... It was a tale of two cities, really, because they looked like ass. All I mean, minus Oregon and USC, they were clearly the two best teams in the Pac-12 all season. But the rest of those teams, it was like, okay, who wants to be 500? Oregon State wins your conference tournament, and then all of a sudden you look up, and at one point the only team that lost was Colorado in the round of 32 and then you have four team or you have four teams from the Pac-12 in the Sweet 16 oh I'm sorry UCLA I'm a jackass of course I'm talking about UCLA UCLA Oregon Oregon State Colorado USC yeah no I was right four four of those teams are still playing on Monday and it's like, how did we get here? And I don't know. It was just, I feel like the Pac-12 was the most misunderstood tournament conference. That and the Big Ten, which looked horrible with the exception of Michigan until last night. And then, I don't know. Um, Houston, Baylor, Battle of Texas. And to me, this is the same thing. Who's going to win? Is Baylor going to win by five? Or are they going to win by 25? Now that, I don't even know if that's true. I don't know. It, like, I don't think Houston. I think Houston lacks in all the way Baylor doesn't. But then Baylor does everything that Houston does well, right? If that makes any sense. Houston outworks everybody. They're super athletic. They box out. They rebound. They don't shoot all that well. And... I mean, playing good defense doesn't matter against Baylor. They'll find a way to beat you. I mean, if Baylor has a problem, it's going to be on the defensive glass. Houston's going to go to work. And, I mean, I feel like they've kind of got a little chip on their shoulder. They've been written off all season. I'd say the same for UCLA, except uh, this was the first time I've actually watched, you know, every minute of a Gonzaga game. And boy, oh boy, it's not going to be close. So right now, the line is set at f- minus 14. Why the fuck are it 4.14 p.m. and 7.34 p.m.? Just make it 4.15 and 7.30. So stupid. But looking at the lines, Baylor minus 5. Gonzaga minus 14. Gonzaga might win by 30. <laughs> but UCLA has fight. I mean... Out of all the teams here, they've by far had the toughest road here. I mean, they played BYU, which mid-major school. They're not great, but I wrote them off. I had Michigan State going to Sweet 16, not UCLA. But um, they played UCLA, or they played Brigham Young. 
They played Abilene Christian. Who they beat in the Sweet 16? Um, Saturday Sweet 16. I don't even remember. It's just I'm so basketball though. If you're still listening, I thank you very much. They beat Alabama and then they beat Michigan. That's a tough road to the Final Four for an 11 seed, let me tell you. But more hoops. More hoops. Tomorrow's opening day for baseball. I've got a fantasy baseball draft in 26 minutes. I've never played fantasy baseball. It's only a six-team league. I was really on the fence about playing because it is a lot of work. And I'm probably going to take dead last. So wish me luck. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at jakesawinski8 at J-A-K-E-S-A-W-I-N-S-K-I-8. Please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Hey, uh, whoever's listening in Virginia, I don't know if you're accidentally downloading it or if you actually enjoy the show, but I thank you very much. You're the real one. You're a cool cat. I've never been to Virginia. Respect. All right. Have a good week, y'all. Peace.